Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for a show called Cityscape. If any person can show just cause why we shouldn't do a show on weddings in the month of June, a popular time of year to tie the knot, well, you're out of luck, because we're doing it anyway. I'm George Borarki, and as previously stated, this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning. There's lots to consider when planning a wedding. Dresses, cakes, music, and the list goes on from there. On this morning's show, we'll meet some people who help starry-eyed couples make it all happen. From a wedding planner, to a wedding cake guru, to a wedding singer. I love to sing. It's like breathing. And later, advice for new brides on how to make friends with their mother-in-law. Strive to have a relationship with her completely independent of the one that you have through your husband. Planning the wedding and living happily ever after. This morning on Cityscape. Glad you're with us. Planning a wedding can be stressful. That's why so many couples have someone else do the dirty work. Cityscape reporter Lauren McGrath introduces us to a professional wedding planner here in New York City. Joanne Gregoli is obsessed with weddings. She likes to attend as many as she can, with or without an invitation. I would be on vacation with my husband, and I kept running and attending all these weddings I wasn't invited to at these resorts. Like if there was a wedding on the beach, that's the first thing I would do is go to the beach and like watch all these people get married, you know. And then 2 o'clock would be the next wedding, and 3 o'clock would be the next wedding. Joanne began her career in event planning, but decided to take a chance on weddings after having children. 20 years later, Joanne's career has exploded. She has an office on Park Avenue, and so far this year, she's already coordinated 20 weddings. But Joanne says she'll never forget her roots. Her very first wedding was for an English bride. She was the sweetest bride of all, but it was funny because she had a lot of details she wanted. It was a Christmas wedding, and I remember she said to me, I want a sea of poinsettias on the altar. And we gave her the price quote. She goes, well, maybe a trickle or a river. And then she wanted Christmas carolers, and it really was a very memorable wedding for me. She was a beautiful bride. She wasn't from New York, but she came to get married in New York. And where is New York best but at Christmas time? So she picked a really wonderful place for my first wedding to be created. Joanne has planned weddings all over the world, but she says it's the Big Apple that takes the cake. She says it's no wonder so many couples marry in New York City. It's an eclectic and limitless venue. From museums to private clubs to rooftops, Joanne says there's no shortage of elegant, vibrant, and distinctive spots for couples to tie the knot. You have the hustle and bustle of the city surrounded by romance, which is a very wonderful backdrop for people. I think, you know, you have people getting their wedding pictures in the middle of Times Square. Very unique dichotomy because you have this really romantic couple dressed to the nines and they're surrounded by the chaos of New York. So it's interesting. And then then you you can't beat the skyline. You know, if you're on top of the world in the Rainbow Room or, or cruising around Manhattan on a yacht, you don't have this view anywhere in the world. Looking back at you, it's just a night sky. When that night falls in New York, there's nothing like it where those lights come on and the city just sparkles and glows below you. I think it's really, really special. Joanne says weddings have certainly changed over the past two decades. Instead of small, intimate affairs, many couples are now opting for larger public events. But she says with over-the-top weddings come quite a few obstacles. A lot of people see these TV shows, they have visions of grandeur, and they're trying to replicate these weddings within a budget and, and the parameters set. That is probably the most challenging thing, is to create the wedding they want within the restrictions that you're given. But some things never change. Joanne says when it comes to choosing the perfect wedding song, lots of couples stick to the classics. The Way You Look Tonight, you know, Frank Sinatra is still a pretty common wedding song because it's, it's an old standard. I will feel a glow just thinking of you. 
But Joanne says some brides and grooms put nostalgia aside for current favorites. A new song that's come out a lot with the father-daughter was I Loved Her First, which is something that just came new on the radio or, you know, maybe a year ago, but it is now top in the list. And with visions of the ideal wedding come every wedding planner's worst nightmare, a bride with outlandish, diva-like demands. Joanne is no stranger to what she refers to as the bridezilla. Every bride is fabulous, but... You know, there are a few who, you know, need to be medicated or maybe they are medicated, but they do lose it sometimes. And really my job is to kind of keep them focused. But yeah, I had one bride where she just snapped. Like nothing that her mother could say or the bridesmaids could say or the groom could say made her happy. And she was just unhappy the whole time, which was horrible. I mean, there was a point where she, her maid of honor made a comment to her and she literally fired her and says, you leave now. And the police had to be escorted, called in to escort this girl out. And the next day she, was, she came to me and she's like, oh, wasn't that the best wedding you've ever been to? And I'm like, whose wedding were you at? You know, because it wasn't the wedding I was at. Crisis management is a critical skill for an expert planner, and Joanne says she has plenty of experience when it comes to that. I had one disaster that sticks out in my mind where a house burned down two weeks before the wedding, and the wedding was supposed to be at the house, an attended wedding, and there was no more house. She lost her wedding dress, she lost all of her response cards, everything was lost, and we were able to redo the wedding in two weeks. We found another venue for her. And we recreated it. So that was a, you know, a wedding that we pulled off despite a disaster. From problem solver to negotiator to secret keeper, Joanne has stepped into a variety of roles over the years to keep brides and grooms calm and happy. She says any good wedding planner must wear several hats, and ultimately, it all comes down to trust. They have to walk in there and know that you are in charge and that you're going to be able to take their vision, which was in their head, and make it a reality. So they have to trust you 150%. If there's no trust, then they're with the wrong person. They can't be micromanaging the day. They have to relax at some point and release and say, you know, I'm going to be able to do this. Through all the triumphs and mishaps, Joanne says she forms deep friendships with her clients. And for her, that makes the bride and groom's big day bittersweet. I just came off a wedding and the groom goes, what am I going to do without you? I'm not going to email you anymore. And it was very, and he was like crying towards the end of the night. I'm like, you can still email us. You want them to say that. You want them to feel as if you've become part of their lives. Because you've been involved with these people from almost a year to two years of planning. It's almost like bridal withdrawal. You almost quit it cold turkey, like quit smoking. Well, you know, you, 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 you smoke, 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 and then all of a sudden it's no more. Well, you plan a wedding, plan a wedding, then it's no more. For those planning their big day, Joanne has some simple advice. Take a step back and don't get stressed. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. If you don't, then you're just missing out on that one thing in life, that, that one moment in time that you can't recapture. So leave the details to the professional. Don't worry about them. Just enjoy the people you're with and enjoy the time that you have with your husband. For Cityscape, I'm Lauren McGrath. One of the single most important features of a wedding is the cake. It helps to set the theme for the day and tells guests a little something about the bride and groom's style. Some couples opt for the traditional all-white wedding cake, but there's really no limit to the culinary and design possibilities. Just ask Charmaine Jones, who's baked up all kinds of cakes for weddings. Her custom cake company is called Cake Diva. It's a title that you better live up to, and we have, and so hence the name given to us. You've been making cakes for how long? Over 20 years professionally in business. You didn't start off, though, as a baker. You were 
a fashion model, and you have a master's degree in fine arts. Yeah, you've been doing your homework. Uh, yes, I used to model. I used to do Seventh Avenue, and I used to do Milan and Paris, and you know stuff like that for the runways. What prompted you to get into the cake business? When I was modeling, I also did music, and I would hang out uh, over on uh, 48th Street at Sam Ash and this other place that used to be called Alex Music. And uh, I met a guy there, and he was like, oh, you have that, that equipment? Well, I have a 48-track digital studio. Why don't you come on up to my studio? And I met his wife and his son and started um, doing music in the studio. However, when people would come by and um, uh, to record, he'd banish me down to the kitchen. And from 8 o'clock to 11 o'clock in the evening, from 8 in the morning, I would be, like, so hungry. So I started taking the leftovers from the refrigerator and started making gourmet meals for everybody. So we would all get together and have those things. But... Um, I felt my calling was to do cakes because when I did a cake for his son, his son was allergic to dairy and white flour, so I made a cake out of soybean, and I felt more appreciated for that than for doing the music or putting together patch bays or anything like that. So I, I felt that was where I should be. And so he was like, do you have any more samples that you can give to us? And I'm like, no, if you want something for me now, it's going to be a cake. So I started doing catering the parties and stuff, but it really came down to the cakes. Well, Charmaine, it's June, <laughs> and you know what happens in June. A lot of people get married. Well, you know, that's interesting you say that. A lot of people think a lot of people get married in June, so September, October really is the rush as far as weddings are concerned. You make amazing wedding cakes. I saw some of them on your website. What artistry involved? I dedicated my life to changing the world of cake, making the world of cake into an art form, changing Americans from using buttercream into using fondant. When we do cakes, we put the buttercream underneath the fondant so they can have the best of both worlds, and the fondant serves as a canvas in which to work on. I can't recognize a spatula from a spoon in the kitchen, so you're going to have to explain to me fondant. Fondant is a rolled icing that you roll out and you drape over the cake uh, with the buttercream on it already. How do you approach a wedding cake with a couple? So someone comes to you and they say, Charmaine, we'd like for you to make our wedding cake. So what do you say to them? I ask them where it's going to be, how many people are they expecting, um, um, what is if they have a theme that they're going by, if they have colors they want to match, if they have flowers that they want to be on the cake, or um, one instance it was going to be down on the shore and her fiancé owned the boat. He wanted the boat on the top of the cake with the name in the back and um, seashells cast that gating down the cake uh, and the bottom part looking like waves crashing up on the cake. So it was a theme, obviously, right? So we did that. Sounds like a lot of work, too. It's always a lot of work. I mean, you know, when I first started, it wasn't that many people that were into the fondant cakes uh, as far as designers. And now I see it's, uh, I think, thanks to the Food Network and um, shows like that, uh, a lot of people are getting into it. 
But, you know, it looks like fun. It can be fun. You certainly have to be in the mood for it. It's not something, you know, that you say, well, you know, my artistry, my artistic flow isn't happening today. I can put it off. You have to do it. It's not something you can wait on. When you design a cake charmaine, are you starting on paper? Or are you drawing it out first before you start to create the cake in terms of baking? You, no matter what you do, you have to draw it out so that um, you can make your client feel more comfortable with your capabilities. Like if somebody comes to you and they want a life-size grand piano, you better be able to draw it immediately. If, if you can't, um, they're very hesitant about booking you for the day. So part baker, part artist, that's what you are. Well, you, you kind of have to be that, you know. It comes from habitually doing it. Someone asked us for a bust of um, Einstein. And, I mean, talk about shock and awe. I freaked myself out that I was able to draw Einstein. I mean, you have to, to remember he has fuzzy hairs and the jowl and definitely mustache action with the eyebrow action going on. That wasn't a wedding cake, though, was it? That was a birthday cake. I was going to that say, that like, would be a very odd wedding cake. Well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised. We've had clients that have wanted um, um, the bride's dress as a wedding cake and the groom's tux as the groom's cake. I understand that you once created the wedding cake for a couple. The groom was a scuba diver, so you created him, and you had a mermaid for the bride. Yes, yes, that was very, that's another seashell-type theme going on, but that was very, very uh, exciting to do um, because that's what they came to me with. They came, came to me with pictures, the whole nine, exactly what they wanted. I would imagine it depends on the cake, but how long does it typically take from start to finish? Well, it can take a week. It depends on how much drama is involved in it. When I say a week, I'm talking possibility of like 15 hours a day for a week, seven days. Mm -hmm. That's, again, a lot of work. Yeah. Here in New York City, there are people from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds. And I know you've learned something about their tastes when it comes to wedding cakes. Mm -hmm. um, well, uh, we specialize in um, ethnic diversity to make everybody happy. Um, and, you know, we don't ever turn anything down from um, Jamaican black cake, you know, which is a Caribbean type of thing, to um, uh, we've done cakes for a lot of cakes for Indian couples that have been like red and gold, um, a lot with the beading that's obviously done with everything we put on the cake is all, all edible. So if it's, you know, it's for us, it's the art of cake, not the art of fake. How many flavors do you work with? Well, um, we have over 100 flavors, but we've come down to about 30 flavors. I'd say are the one that I can bet on, the one that... Wendy Williams had, and Beyonce's favorite is the pink champagne cake with our coconut filling. We should point out that you have a number of celebrity clients. Well, yeah, you know, we it, it's not about celebrity-isms, per se. It's about whoever wants a cake. If, you know, Slick Rick or whomever, if some, in fact, Joe, if they want a cake, they have a cake. You know, everybody has to pay. Have you done any celebrity weddings? Harry B Belafonte's son's wedding. You also make wedding cakes for soap operas. Oh, yeah. One Life to Live, uh -huh. Days of Our Lives. Oh. Tell me about that. That was like a dream come true as far as being able to make cakes for them and, stuff and, be, and step from one side of the television onto the other part. 
From what I understand, you noticed some pretty lousy cakes on television, and you approached the soaps with your ideas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of pathetic. It was painful for me to see something on television that I knew that I could do a whole lot better than, you know, and that's how that happened. What's the most expensive cake you've ever made for a wedding? Um, I think it was about $7,000, but the work on it was months and months and months of doing just the flowers alone. It was very painful as far as uh, the labor is concerned. What kind of cake was that? Do you remember? Um, never forget. It was like 11 tiers, mm-hmm. and it had over 4,000 flowers on it. Is it ever difficult to watch your cakes being eaten after all of that hard work? You just sit back and say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe there it all goes. Recently, it's been pretty difficult because you know all the time you put into it and you know nobody's getting any younger. In the beginning, it was like, um, um, sure, sure, cut it. You want me to cut it? I'll cut it. Eat it, eat it so you can order another one. Yeah, yeah. You know, now it's like, you know, please take so many pictures, take videos. I, you can use my video, but let me know that you liked it, you know, after it's all said and done because once you finish with the visual, then you get into the taste, and that's a whole nother experience. Charmaine Jones, the cake diva. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, see you later. Let me know when you need a cake. If you'd like to see some of Charmaine's unique cakes for yourself, check out her website, cakediva.com. My name is Steve Kozlaskis, and I love to sing, especially at weddings. Since 1969, I was about 18 years old. Uh, some girl dumped me. I wrote a song, joined a band, and here I am today. Is it a full-time gig? No, it's not. I'm a graphic designer by trade. I sing at weddings and parties and things like that, usually on weekends. At a wedding reception, uh, it depends on uh, what they hire me for. I've done four hours, which is about mm, 60 songs, which is a lot of songs for me to do. Um, and then my favorite ones are when they have a DJ. I show up, I do a half hour and go home. And it's the best because you're just giving them a taste and you really get them interested in between the salad and the main course, you know, and... Uh, that's kind of exciting. I don't have to pack anything up. My age, I don't like carrying things. That's why I have kids. The most requested songs, I'd say, is uh, uh, for weddings, it's just the way you look tonight, and also a song called The Summer Wind. Oh, the summer wind, it came rolling in. From across the sea Saying he's a wedding singer. Quite frankly, I really don't, I don't care about the label. Um, I don't particularly mind it, you know. And if people tend to uh, shrug their shoulders or give me a look, that's okay too. I love to sing and they don't have the joy. And I'm not being hokey here. They don't have the fun that I have when I sing. I just, I love to lay it out and make people happy. And because it makes me happy, trust me. You know, the old pat on the back routine, I like that. Ha, <laughs> ha,
That's how I feel. I just love to sing, not only in the shower. Oh, like painted kites. Steve Kazlowskis is a wedding singer from Connecticut, but he croons for couples throughout the tri-state area. Oh, the world was anew beneath the blue umbrella sky. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. For some new brides, the sweet sounds of their wedding are quickly drowned out by the overbearing voice of their mother-in-law, or should we say, monster-in-law. A new book aims to bring harmony to contentious daughter-in-law, mother-in-law relationships. It's called The Daughter-in-Law Rules, 101 Surefire Ways to Manage and Make Friends With Your Mother-in-Law. I spoke with the author, Sally Shields. Sally, good morning. Thanks for having me today. Now, is this book based on personal experiences with your (laughs) mother-in-law? Yes, it absolutely is. I don't know if you remember the book, The Rules for Dating. Mm. Well, I had followed these rules and had very good success. My husband thought I was the best thing since sliced bread. And (laughs) after I got married, about a year into it, I was kind of scratching my head going, where's the manual for how to get along with his mother? I actually went to the ladies from the rules book and I said, you know, you help all these women marry the man of their dreams. Now you need a manual for the mother-in-law. And they said, you know, that's a great idea. We're going to go check with our agent. So they went and they checked with their agent and they came back and they said, our agent's busy right now, but you know what? You should do this. This would be good for you. What I actually did was I started to jot down all the mistakes that I seemed to make with my mother-in-law and I came up with a rule title and a solution to deal with each and every one. And even though each, uh, it started off as sort of a tongue-in-cheek coping mechanism, when I saw that her attitude started to shift, I was like, if there's something to this, maybe I could really help other young wives. Is this sort of like retail, though, this relationship that the mother-in-law is always right, kind of like the customer? (laughs) Well, yes. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, basically, you know what it is? It's based on a strategy of proactive willingness. And what you want to do is see... You want to go out of your way to make your mother-in-law feel special and appreciated because she's feeling displaced. She's, you know, you've got her son and all of this is going on. So really, I think that it's the daughter's-in-law's job, daughter-in-law's job to really come forward and, and proactively make her feel needed and special. So what I did was I sort of based the book on the seventh spiritual law of success, which is the quickest way to get what you want is to help others get what they want. And once you sort of adopt that philosophy and embrace it willingly, it really wonderful things can happen. You say in the book that you should refer to your mother-in-law as mom. The first thing that when I got married, my mother-in-law told my husband, of course, she didn't tell me directly. She said, I only have one rule that she call me mom. And I think it's one of the things that you can do to make her happy. But of course, you know, you, you might choose to actually ask her what she's comfortable with, what she wants you to call her. I was going to say, what if you have a mother-in-law who says, please call me anything but mom? <laughs> Indeed, then then absolutely call her anything but mom. <laughs> you, you have an acronym for mother-in-laws. You say... M-I-L. Yeah, I call her the M-I-L. And um, there's a few things. See, I've outlined the basically the first 10 years of marriage chronologically from the newlywed to rules what to do when you visit her, what the rules to do when she comes over to visit you before and after the baby. And if I may, I'd love to give your listeners some tips about um, from the newlywed section. Please go ahead. 
Tip okay. number one. All right. So <laughs> what you want to do is you want to call your mom regularly. Strive to have a relationship with her completely independent of the one that you have through your husband. So I tell my listeners and readers, you know, pick a day each week. Uh, for example, you know, I say Wednesday, call your mother-in-law day and, and just give her a call and tell her, you know, ask her how she's feeling. And if you're super busy, you can aim for getting her machine like when you know she'll be at bingo or something like that. But it's really important to establish a relationship with her separately and it'll feel really good for her to, to actually know that you're reaching out. Something else that you can do is you can ask her for her advice. Ask your mother-in-law for her advice and frequently. But here's the thing. What you want to do is you want to keep your subject matter on the simple and inconsequential side, such as what color to change the shower curtain to in a guest bathroom. But then what you want to do is actually do it so when she comes over, she'll be proud that you followed through. And, and then change it when she leaves? You may change it when she leaves. <laughs> <laughs> you say, Sally, never get defensive with your mother-in-law. For example, my mother-in-law would come over and I'd be bustling around the kitchen, you know, putting things away. And I'd maybe say something like, gosh, where are those new tea bags I, I just bought? I, I know I had them somewhere. And she might mistakenly get the impression that you are accusing her and pounce with the defensive. Well, don't look at me. I didn't take them. You don't want to get defensive. You want to take a deep breath and um, you simply, you know, maybe make some self-effacing comment like, gosh, oh, I know I'm such an oatmeal brain. Last week I found the keys in the fridge. And then find your cup, find your tea bags, and then make yourself a nice cup of chamomile and, and then offer her her choice of beverage as well. You advise in the book, Sally, that when your mother-in-law comes over, you should order out. Now, I think that could be problematic because she'll wonder if you just don't cook for your husband. <laughs> Well, after eight years of cooking and then having the doorbell ring ring uh, to the tune of dominoes, you've got to learn what works and what, what, what doesn't work with your mother-in-law. So in my particular case, um, I happen to be vegetarian, and this did not go over well with my mother-in-law. And like I said, you know, I would spend, you know, quite, quite a bit of time preparing a meal. And of course... Um, what would happen is she'd make what I call a dill's daughter-in-law zing and she'd say, oh, that isn't food. I don't eat that kind of stuff. And so what I learned to do was, listen, you know, um, just have a, have a menu, take her out to the diner, order a pizza, do whatever it is that she wants because, you know, why, why set yourself up? <laughs> but basically something that I do want to mention is that a lot of the rules in the, in the daughter-in-law rules book are universal in nature. However, these are very specific uh, to my situation. So what I did was I made what I call an inks for dills template. Identify the problem, note what was done or said, create a rule title and set up a solution for the dills daughter-in-law zing so that everybody can create a personalized set of rules customized for their very own mother-in-law. I don't want to embarrass you because I know your book is based on personal experience. Quite but right. I've already embarrassed myself. Yeah, it's in the book. I was going to say, you put it out there. Avoid flatulating around your mother-in-law. <laughs> well, you know, as I said, um, you know, I'm a vegetarian. And occasionally when, when I'm in her house, there really isn't anything to eat that, that I could really consider, you know, she's got a lot of bread and carbs and I try to tend to eat fruits and vegetables. So sometimes I will end up eating my fruits and vegetables a little too close together. So what I found was my mother-in-law would just basically really, you know, she doesn't like this at all. She's, she'll she'll make the most contorted facial expressions that she can possibly um, come up with and she'll, she'll say in front of everybody, oh my God, was that you, Sally? disgusting. <laughs> so what I learned to do, see, one of the rules became, you know, make sure you avoid flatulating in front of your mother-in-law and then make sure you stock up on some extra Beano and get in the habit of using it generously on your fruits and vegetables. How come father-in-laws are never the real problem? We always hear about mother-in-laws, but never about dads-in-law. <laughs> 
father-in-law is so sweet. I just think that men have a tendency to compartmentalize. They don't let things bother them as much in terms of relationships. You say if you have a problem with your husband, you never want to bring that problem to your mother-in-law. Don't criticize your husband to his mother. This is true because the thing is she may appear to be taking your side. She will never be on your side. She will always be on her son's side. So this is just something that you want to keep in mind. Important not to put you know, your husband in the middle when you're talking to his mother and very important not to put your husband in the middle when, you know, the, the opposite way too. You just don't want to put either of them in the middle of the relationship. Just deal directly with each of them on an individual basis and you will avoid many, many arguments. You have a most of all chapter with one rule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do everything you can to make your mother-in-law proud. <laughs> Well, yes, this is what happened when my mother-in-law found out that I was writing a book about the mother-in-law. This is what she said. She said, I know I can be a witch with a bee, Sally. I'm a Leo, but you're stubborn too. We're a lot alike, you know. Now go write a bestseller or I'll kick your butt. And I thought, perfect. So it was really the, the perfect way to end the book with a quote from my mother-in-law, and the book is dedicated to her, and now she's very proud of me, and um, it's really transformed the relationship. It's about letting your mother-in-law be who she is, not trying to change her, focusing on the positive. You know, no matter what she says, let it go past. Let the negative go past. If you really know who you are, it doesn't matter what she says. The short time that you have with her, you want to share happily with your, your son and the kids. And we can all grow much closer to our mother-in-law through the children. And that's, see, that's another thing, a benefit of doing the daughter-in-law rules is that one of the most magical relationships is the one that you can forge with your, with your grandparents. And once you realize that, you can kind of become the catalyst for that. And if you have a good relationship with your mother-in-law, you can then put your children together with your husband's mother and then step back and watch that relationship bloom because that is such a beautiful relationship for both of them. And that's really what you want to facilitate here. The book is The Daughter-in-Law Rules, 101 Surefire Ways to Manage and Make Friends with Your Mother-in-Law. Sally Shields, thanks so much. Thanks so much. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Rashida Winfield. And I have to go because I have my own wedding to go to. Well, not my own wedding. Actually, my brother's wedding. He's getting married to his fiancée, Rachel, this morning. Congratulations, guys. And to you, have a great weekend. <laughs>